Thank you so much. Would you take your Bibles or find your smartphone or Bibles there underneath the seats in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you'd find 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we appreciate our praise man leading us in worship today. And uh, it doesn't always happen that we have uh, parent-child dedication and baptism all in the same service, but it has happened before, and uh, that is okay. It is on days like today that... Uh, that the front rows get filled up before the back rows, one of the few times. But it's okay. We're glad you're here. So let's have, we, I'm, I'm all for it. And I guess if you got chocolate today, then you were triply blessed as well. So it's okay. And uh, I was reading a periodical, a, uh, some kind of publishing thing that had uh, uh, an article called, What Do Women Want From Men? And uh, so looked at it maybe with a little bit of interest. And this is some of the things that they concluded every now and again. They want somebody else to pick the restaurant. They want somebody else to arrange the play date, plan the seating, buy the tickets, do the laundry, schedule the appointment, pack the bags, balance the books, send the gift, walk the dog, fill out the forms, break the silence, lift the band, make the payment, count the calories, hold the phone, explain the joke, beat the odds, hit the ground running, win the race, and save the day while they sleep past noon from time to time in high-thread cotton sheets and a cashmere blanket. In other words, and I quote, we want time off for good behavior. Well, I'm hoping today, ladies, that you get a little bit of time off perhaps uh, today, but I uh, don't want you to sleep till noon, you understand today. Hang in there with us, but we do appreciate all of our moms and uh, wives, all the ladies of our church, all those who are uh, married, those who are single, those who are single again. We applaud God's plan for you and for the family, Mother's Day is not really an official religious holiday, you understand. But we do come and we celebrate the fact that it was God's plan. He was the one who ordained the family and how he continues to use the family. And maybe particularly moms today who gave us birth, nurture us, uh, help us to grow and to continue to love us uh, as well. Well, you are our hero. And today we're going to learn from a real hero in the Bible. We're still in our series of messages called He's Still King and looking in chapter in First Samuel, you might have noticed we skipped some from previous. We looked at the first few chapters of First Samuel already. Going to talk more about that, but some several things have converged today in order for us to be able to come to this particular passage in First Samuel chapter twenty-five. One is the series, of course, that's taking place. We've just kind of moved ahead. We're going to come back and look at some of those in between as well. And then uh, also the fact that it's Mother's Day. And we're talking about a particular woman by the name of Abigail, which also helps to explain why it has merged here today. Uh, because we have a uh, brand new granddaughter in our family, and her name is Abigail. And I just could not help but to wait to tell you about her namesake as it is found here in God's Word. So let me set up the main players, perhaps, in the story. We know David, of course. Now, he's not yet officially the king of Israel. He's living in the desert wilderness, but he has about 600 men who have gathered around him. He and his merry men have become somewhat of an ancient Robin Hood in the wilderness of Palestine. They're fugitives with a death warrant signed by the king. There are many episodes of King Saul and his soldiers coming close to being in real combat with David and his men, but God continues to protect in fact, if you look at 1 Samuel 25, you look at the bookends of those, 1 Samuel 24, chapter 24 and chapter 26, both of those, it was uh, David who came to Saul's rescue and had opportunity to take his life or his men, but he did not, he spared Saul's life. 
exciting episodes are taking place here in this book of 1 Samuel. Hey, it'd make for a great book, and hey, it already is. Meanwhile, David and his men in the midst of eluding Saul and his army become the rescuers and the protectors of small towns and sheep herders out in the field, protecting them from bandits and marauders and the enemies of Israel. Already, he's becoming what the king should be doing. He's serving the people and protecting and watching over the people of Israel. Great stories and great lessons are taking place. Another person in this particular chapter, we're about to read some of these verses. Nabal is his name, and maybe you don't know him quite as well. He's an Israelite, and he's one of the Hebrew people, but he's not a very good one. In fact, when it comes to people, he's just not a good person as people go. His name literally means fool or foolish. And actually means intellectually or ethically foolish. And as people go, he's one of the worst we got. I want you to see how he's described in verses 2 and 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 25. You might notice the very first verse on there. If you've got your Bibles open, it says actually that Samuel, the great prophet, has died. And so last two weeks we talked about the birth of Samuel and the calling of Samuel. And uh, so you see there's going to be a lot of things there in between that we're going to get to. Verses 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 2 and 3 says this, And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 3,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Now I want you to notice just the order in which it's described about this particular man. First his wealth and then his character or his lack thereof. Now his wealth reminds us that just because a person is wealthy does not necessarily mean that they are blessed by God or that they are doing good. I know that I don't have to convince you of that, but oftentimes we find prophets and even some of the psalmists in the Bible that talk about or seem to be asking God why is it that the good seem to suffer and the wicked prosper. And it does seem that way at times. He is harsh and badly behaved. If you have a different translation, it may say that he's surly and mean. He's a man without honor. His ancestor was Caleb, one of the two spies who came into the promised land, who knew that the Lord could help them to come and take over the promised land, along with Joshua, Caleb was a godly man, but Nabal is nothing like him. As a Calebite, he was also from the tribe of Judah. David was from the tribe of Judah, so that they were from the they were kin. He was he has one redeeming asset. He has an intelligent and beautiful wife who is the hero of the family uh, and this chapter. Her name means my father is joy. And we're going to find out more about her. But now, men, there, there's no doubt when the people describe us. Our best asset will continue to be our wives or the women in our life. However, when what we possess or where we are from or who we're kin to takes precedence over our godly character, then we need to sit up and take notice. So one of the lessons that we might learn, godly character is more important than possessions or wealth. Godly character is more important than possessions or wealth. I want you to note this is not the main lesson of the story. And we're going to be sure that you note the main lesson as we move forward. Now this is a fairly long chapter. and uh, You've been here already for several minutes. And uh, we're not going to read all 44 verses. But I'm going to tell you the story while reading certain verses along the way. And David and his men, they're in the wilderness of Maon near Carmel. Where Nabal lives. And it's sheep shearing time. Now sheep shearing time is usually a time of 
a festival. There's usually a great feast of celebration. And David hears that it's sheep shearing time for Nabal. And so he sends 10 of his young men to go and to ask Nabal for some supplies while this is taking place. And anything he might could get David and his men. After all, David and his men had been protecting this land and his sheep herders out in the field. Read what happened in verses 9 through 11. Chapter 25 and verse 9 says this, When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shares and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? Now you need to know by this time, everybody knows the name of David. They've been singing songs about David. After he killed Goliath for a while, he was fighting with King Saul. He had already become the son-in-law of the king, at least for some time. And now he's the most famous fugitive in all the land and in loved and endeared by most people. But here's Nabal. Who's David? Who's this son of Jesse? We knew he was the son of Jesse, so he didn't know about him. So there's a lot of runaway slaves out there. Why should I give away my bread, water, and meat to somebody I don't know? He knew very well who David was, but he wouldn't, wasn't going to give him anything. Was it because, what do you think that was? I think it's because he was greedy. Maybe he was one who was loyal to King Saul. Or do you think he was just plain mean? My thinking was he was just plain mean. Taylor Swift had a song, I think, called Why You Gotta Be So Mean. It could have been written and sung about Nabal. The young men, David's men, turned around, went back to David with the words that Nabal had said to them. They did not have to repeat it. They did not have to be discussion without hesitation. David said to all his men, strap on your swords. Every, he strapped on his sword. 400 of the men began to head toward Carmel while 200 stayed back with the supplies. And they're not on their way to throw a tea party. The Bible doesn't say how they got there or what they rode on at this point, but we might could imagine 400 stallions galloping at full speed toward Carmel. To put it in words I can visualize, it's like an old-time Western movie and the big boss doesn't get riled up much, but when he does, watch out. All the ranch hands have loaded their pistols and there's going to be a shootout. Well, this doesn't sound like a Mother's Day sermon very much so far, does it? Well, hang on. For meanwhile, back at the ranch in Carmel, one of the servants saw David's men come and heard what they said and heard what the husband said. And they go back and they say to Nabal's wife, Abigail. Let's read verses 14 through 17. Verse, chapter 25, verse 14 says, But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out in the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Even his servants know that particular thing. Let's talk about Abigail's plight for just a moment. She's a godly woman and she's in a tough situation. She has a mean and cruel husband in a day and a culture where women have little to say about their predicament. Now, there's little or no courting before marriage or usually arranged. She's trapped in a sense. Her plight at this time in her life is through no fault of her own. Her husband has just insulted 
the next king of Israel. And they're coming to kill every male member of her household. She's a godly woman in a bad place in time. Now I know to this extent that this would not describe your situations. But ladies, do any of you have imperfect husbands or semi-dysfunctional families? Please do not raise your hand. But I think there's a club. There'll be t-shirts out in the lobby later. But here's what Abigail is going to teach us. No matter how good or bad or somewhere in between your situation in life, no matter if your situation is of your own making or through no fault of your own, you can be a hero to your family. You can be a hero in your home. You can be a hero in the community. You can be used of God. Now, in these next few minutes, rather than to give you a one, two, three formula of something that you might be able to use in the home later, I want you to just kind of catch the message as we continue to tell the story. And there may be some particular things that you see that may be particularly for you, men or women. And we want you to be sure to see the big picture of where we're going with this. Now, what could Abigail do? Well, she could have done nothing, let the chips fall where they may. She could have gone and nagged her husband some. What have you done? She could have said, boy, you really messed up this time. Did you really say that about David, the next king of Israel? But what do the first few words of verse 18 say? You might have to look to see. Depending on your translation, said she lost no time. She made haste. She gathered bread, wine, dressed sheep, grain, raisin, and figs, and put them on a donkey, and went with a few servants to meet the posse, or to meet David and his men. The Bible makes a point of saying that she did not tell her husband yet. While she's doing the greatest good for her husband and household, she does so without a world, without a word to her husband. Now, one of the differences between men and women in the home is that men won't credit. I mean, if we do something, I mean, if we uh, uh, take out the trash, if we happen to do the dishes, we mow the lawn, do some laundry, it doesn't matter. We're going to be sure that somebody knows before, during, or after, and sometimes all three. You got to treat men maybe a little bit like a house puppy and pat them on the head and say, good job, good boy, good boy. This I only know that because... Uh, I are one of you, and I understand it. But how thankful we are for godly mothers and wives and ladies who do hundreds of deeds a day without a word for credit or notice. Now, this is not teaching that you should keep things from your husband. She's going to tell them later in the chapter. But how grateful we are for all of you that do so without fanfare or accolades. Not that we should not give praise or not give thanks. We should. And today... We are. We pick up the story, verses 20 and 22. 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 20, it says this. It says, And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of all who belonged to him. David, normally the peacemaker, he was ready to pay back evil for evil. Now, Abigail will not only save her household, she will also be the hero for David. And in this entire story, we know that God is really the hero. But the important thing is to be able to be a person who is following God's purpose in the home and God's purpose in the family. God is really the hero, and you must be willing to cooperate with Him. Eugenia Price 
says in a writing entitled, A Woman with God's Own Poise. Only God can give a woman poise like Abigail possessed. And God can only do it when a woman is willing to cooperate as Abigail cooperated with him on every point. We want to pay close attention to the words of Abigail. 1 Samuel chapter 25 verses 23 and 24 says this. says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Wow, notice, while she was not even around or near when her husband spoke to David's men, she was willing to take the guilt. She was willing to take the blame and she took it upon herself to cross cultural barriers and expectations to plead the case, her case to David. And she faced possible repercussions for helping David. Already King Saul had killed people because uh, people had provided aid and comfort to his enemy, which at that time was David and his men. Abigail showed much courage. And even what seems amazing to me, for 10 years, King Saul and his 3,000 men looked for David and never could find him. And here Abigail found him in one day. The Bible teaches it's the responsibility of the men to be spiritual leaders in the home. And I certainly believe that to be true. Biblically, the role of men in the church and the home are to be spiritual leaders who are to keep the family in the pathway that will lead them to know and grow in Christ and be involved in His church. However, we know today in our culture, wives and mothers are often the spiritual compass who seek to point the families in the right direction toward a closer walk with Jesus. And it's not always the men. Maybe not even usually. Barna Research Group says, in a typical week, mothers are more likely than fathers to attend church and to pray, to read the Bible, participate in a small group, attend Sunday school, and volunteer some of their time to a nonprofit organization. Now, the, the title of this sermon actually may have sounded more like a Father's Day sermon, but it is so because Abigail did not wait for her husband to change. She did not wait for her husband to do the right thing. Nor did she wait for David, who was a man after God's own heart. But in this case, David was bound to do the wrong thing for the wrong reason had it not been for Abigail and the Lord using her. Again, in a culture where women were hardly heard from and barely seen, Abigail took responsibility to do the right by her household with due haste. Watch the phrase we talked about in verse 18. Lose no time. Don't wait to take spiritual responsibility in the home. Don't wait to follow a husband who may not be leading in the right direction. Don't wait to take responsibility spiritually in the home. Don't wait to follow a husband who may not be necessarily following in the right direction. Now I want you to understand it took courage for her to do that. And at the same time as we make that application still, you can show much respect for your husband and for all people. Even being submissive as long as you're being submissive to the Lord first. Notice verses 25 and 26 as she continues to speak. She says, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt... And from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Now, 
there may even be a little bit of humor here. I don't know what we read. She says, pay no attention to my husband. Have you, have you ever had to make excuses for your husband? Please put your hand down. Don't. His mama named him right is what she says. His name, is, his name means fool. He's acting a fool. I don't think that the lesson here, ladies, is that you need to ever call your husband a fool. As a matter of fact, Jesus had a definite warning against that very thing. And those who did were in the dangers of judgment. The lesson is that she did not argue nor debate. In the heat of wrath, she gives a soft answer. She reflects what the writer of Proverbs says. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Try it sometime when someone is angry. Try it when you are angry. We've talked about anger management before. We'll be angry sometimes. The feeling of angry is not sin. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. It depends on what we do with that. So next time you're angry, or you might want to do the opposite of how you feel. But try a soft answer and see if it does not curb your anger or maybe someone else's. Abigail was said to have the reputation of good intelligence in contrast to her evil, ethically and morally challenged husband. No doubt she'd seen this before. This was not the first time he'd acted a fool. And the worse that he was, the better she looked and the more she grew in wisdom and character. So the tougher your plight, the greater opportunity you have to be able to shine a light Maybe to be a help. Maybe to show godliness. Now understand, not godly superiority ever, but in order that you might be able to live a life that would point to Jesus. Now that doesn't happen automatically. It happens when believers seek the best in bad situations and always seek to be used by God. For every Abigail that you find who become godlier in a tough situation, you'll find another 99 who become bitter and hard. Women and men, boys and girls, you want to become that rare jewel, not like that which is more common in the world in which we live today, blaming our attitude and actions on our circumstances. But notice what she did for David, this godly, intelligent woman who knew what was up. She reminded David of God's presence in his life. The Lord's been with you. He's taking care of your enemies. You've not had to take care of any vengeance. Because of the Lord and what the Lord has done for you until now. She would remind him also that he's going to be king one day. And that's because God will make him king. If we can look back and know that God has been with us in the past. And we're trusting that God's going to be with us in the future. In this life and in the life to come. When we'll reign with him one day in heaven. If God's been with you in the past and you trust him with the future. Doesn't it make sense that you can trust Him with today's problems? If God's been with you in the past, you trust Him in the future, you can trust Him today with today's problems. Abigail thought so. She helped David to remember all that God had done and would do. Verses 28 through 31 says this. Verse 28 says, Please forgive the trespasses of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battle of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life. The life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle. The living and the care of the Lord your God. The lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all that the good that he has spoken concerning you. And has appointed you prince over Israel. 
My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience or having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servants, your servant. And she reminds him of the dynasty that the Lord will provide when he becomes leader over Israel. He says, you don't, she says, you don't need this on your conscience, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. Ladies, you cannot make every decision for your children or your husband or for others or around you. But oh, if you can gently point us in the right direction, help us to do the right thing by your example and by your words. Abigail finishes her speech by saying to David, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What kind of ironic request, not knowing what would happen next. Now, before we move on with the story, the words of Abigail remind us she was not just beautiful on the outside, but she was brains and beauty filled with godly wisdom. The words of First Peter reflect that kind, her kind as well. First Peter chapter 3, it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. It said it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. David saw these qualities and he praised her in verses 32 and 34. To where it says this, And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand, for as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who's restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to enable so much as one male. He accepted her gifts of food and sent her home in peace. When she arrives home, her husband is still having the festival. In fact, he's so much a part of the festivities that he is now drunk. And she decides not to tell him anything yet about David and his men until the next morning when he's sober. She tells him these things and what she has done and what David was going to do. And he has a heart attack or stroke, falls into a coma. No medical records to confirm, but it's what it sounds like in, strip, in Scripture. It could have been caused by fear of a sudden panic attack, but the Scripture says his heart failed and he became like stone. And then in verse 38, it says about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. Be careful lest we read in this passage that we need to pray the Lord to take away our mean family member. For Abigail did not leave her husband. She did not seek after divorce. Not one indication that she wanted something bad happen to her husband. As a matter of fact, she saves his life. She probably could have talked Nabal into just taking his life and no one else's. Praise Jesus, this is not your situation. But the message is this. If you're in a tough situation, God knows it. And it's only temporary. For the believer, better days are ahead. If not in this life, and we know then it will be in the life that we have with Jesus. There were better days for Abigail. When David heard of Nabal's death, he praised God for sparing him, for taking vengeance and upholding his cause. And David has asked his servants, go ask Abigail to be my wife. Okay, maybe not as romantic as a 
carriage ride proposal or a moonlight night on the beach, but it'll do. Now, men, you might like her answer in verse 41 of chapter 25. It says this, And she rose and bowed her the face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Now, David's no fool. He noticed her brains and her beauty. Now, you might remember David is described as a tall, good-looking fellow as well. How long did it take her to get ready? Verse 42, And Abigail hurried. And rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. She left the lifestyle of the rich and famous to go live in the desert, the wife of a fugitive. Now, you might notice she took five maids with her. We're talking about bridesmaids, but uh, so she probably took a little bit of wealth with her. In a few years, David would become king, and they would have at least one child. Is this a fairy tale ending? Well, I suppose it could be called a romantic comedy with very little comedy. It's almost a chick flick. It's a great story, but like all fairy tales, they end and we have to go back to our lives as usual. However, in this case, it's not a fairy tale. And while it may not be your story, it does not mean that it cannot have an effect on your life today. Because in every story in the Old Testament, there is a reflection of Christ Jesus. In these many chapters about David, often David is the one who is reflecting Jesus. But in this case, it's Abigail who is reflecting Jesus. The hero of the story points to Jesus. She comes to him she says to David, while she wasn't even there, I'll take the blame. I'll take the guilt for what someone else did. Is that not what Jesus did for us? He took the blame. He took the guilt for our sin. Then Abigail convinced David... You do not have to take the guilt of this sin with you into the kingdom. Jesus keeps us from sin and forgives us of sin so that we do not take the guilt with us. He takes the burden away. So that we know that we cannot take sin. Jesus must take that away. Nor do we need to live lives of guilt. Not today, not this week, not in the weeks to come. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Therefore in Christ there is no condemnation. And then even you might... Re- She said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is that not what the dying thief said to Jesus on the cross? He gives confidence for daily living because he remembers us in his kingdom. And he wants us to be a part of it. Over a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem or hung on the cross, Abigail's life reflected Jesus and she reminds us that no matter what situation you're in, if Mother's Day is a day of celebration or even if it's a tough day, to endure or a day of painful memories because of Jesus, it is better than a fairy tale ending. Like Abigail, you can be a hero in the home and in your church and in the community as your life points to Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you, Father, for your presence and we thank you for continuing to be at work in this place. Remind us now even now through the stories that we read, this story particularly about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what He did for us. So that we might be able to have true living with Christ by our side, to be able to know that you have purpose for each one one of us and so that you might help us during the tough times and so that we might know that we have a heavenly home. We pray, Father, that there's one here today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that today might be the day of salvation. That even the story of Abigail, that she may continue by her example and by her words 
point people to Jesus. We pray, Father, for all of us who are here today, remind us how we need to be more like Christ regardless of our situation, how we know that there's hope that is found in you. May we have the courage, Father, to live differently because of the experience of the risen Lord in our very lives today. We thank you for your presence here. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to be